anything that you can see right now as a way to get to the reality that you want to build for yourself is a limitation. I want to repeat that. Anything that you can see for how you can get to the reality you want is a limitation because the ways that you can arrive there are practically infinite. There are so many ways that you could get to the reality that you ultimately desire. And yet your brain is able to pattern recognize based off of the information you have and, the, and your past experiences and beliefs, a few of those ways. That means if you think that the only way that you could get there is like this way right here, you are limiting yourself from the 99% of the ways that you could actually arrive at that space. Hello, friends, and welcome to Impact Everywhere, the podcast that looks for people having a positive impact in unexpected places. Today, our guest is Adam Roa, and he is an artist of many talents. He's an actor, a spoken word poet. He has a YouTube show. He has a podcast. He runs an entire community online, and he's a musician. On top of all of this, he's also a life coach. He's spoken at conferences all around the world, and his most successful piece of art has over 200 million views. Adam and I actually met through a group called Kindred, which focuses on elevating the mental health conversation through influencers and art. We hopped onto a conversation just to get to know one another, and I was immediately enthralled with his perspective on the world. Adam is a true creative, and throughout all of the pieces of work that he does, there is one through line that is always present, and that is the power of relationships, which is where our entire conversation is going to be focusing on. Not just relationship with others, but relationships with yourself. I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. This is Adam Roa, and I've just asked him what drives him to create. If you'd asked me that maybe a year ago, it might have been a different answer. I feel like the thing that drives all of us, and this might be controversial, but it's what I believe currently, <laughs> is that we do everything for ourselves. Right now, my current belief is that we do everything for ourselves. And what I mean by that is even when I'm recording my podcast, my podcast is called The Deep Dive with Adam Rowe, when I record those podcasts, I desire people to live more compassionately. I desire people to treat each other more respectfully and with love. While I would love to say that's so that they can be happier, and that is true to some degree, it's also because I want to live in a world in which people are moving through it more compassionately and respectfully. I want that world to exist. I want to feel like I am helping people. That's important to me. It's important to my purpose on this planet. So I'm doing that for me as well. And then tangibly, I share it because one of my biggest kind of like karmas in this life is that I haven't felt safe. I was uh, sexually abused at a young age. My father's from the Philippines. So I got disciplined with belts and like wooden things. And so I just didn't feel safe for most of my life, physically or emotionally, as a stoic Asian role model where it wasn't safe to show emotion in the house. So to me, sharing all of this stuff is also my own medicine of saying, it's actually safe for me to be really vulnerable. It's safe for me. I'm rewriting that old story. And so tangibly, that's medicine for me to share the way that I do. And also on the other level, helping other people helps to create a world that I want to live in. And those are the primary reasons why I have the YouTube show and the podcast and the music and everything. And what would your answer have been one year ago? 
my answer a year ago probably would have been that I know how much it hurts to be human and to feel lost on this planet. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> like to be lost on this planet, man, to feel like it's not safe, to feel like no one cares. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to battle with depression. And I just don't want anyone to feel that. And therefore, if it's possible for me to move through it, it's possible for anyone to move through it. I wasn't raised with these skills. I learned them. I've worked very hard to develop them in my life. And so as long as people are willing to put in the work, they can shift this in their own lives. And so that's still true. You can tell by the emotion in my voice, that's still true. But a year ago, I was unaware to also the, the fact that it does still come back to me. <laughs> yeah, no, we grow as humans, right? We are expected to change and evolve. And that adds depth and layers to our personality and the work that we create. How has this evolution affected your creative process? How has it affected the work and the direction in which you decide to communicate and convey your love into the world? Well, I think it's impacted my art by opening me up to sharing my emotional experience and my journey more directly. What I mean is I have a spoken word poetry album called Permission, and it is something I'm very proud of. It's meant to be listened to in one sitting from start to finish. It is important to do that. It takes you on a bit of a journey, as you can hear in my music specifically, which is also out on Spotify and iTunes and all the places, is I'm sharing my emotions the depth of me as deeply as I can, as opposed to my observations, I'm sharing me. And so I feel like my art has become more personal, giving you an insight into my heart, not just my mind. Mm. And what has the response of your audience been? Because you've always been such a public figure. Has there been resistance? Has there been excitement? How have people received this? And how does that affect you moving forward? <laughs> I wish that was a simple answer. It's interesting because I'm in this space where I consider myself a renaissance man, consider myself just an artist. And so I'm doing all these things from the spoken word poetry to the podcast and the music and, and filmmaking with my reality YouTube show and then launching online coaching communities and all these things. And I feel passionate and skilled at all of them. I really do. I, I put my heart and soul into all of them. And yet I thought my audience would like appreciate every aspect, <laughs> but it's not the case. There are a lot of people who love the messages that I put out, but don't necessarily love the music. And then there's a lot of people who love the music, but don't necessarily jive with the spiritual stuff that I speak of in my podcast. And there's basically people who love and are like diehards in certain categories, as opposed to my whole audience loves everything I do. And I think that was a learning experience for me was thinking, oh, people are just going to love everything I do. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I mean, art is so personal, right? So that actually like makes sense when you take the time to think about it. One of the things that you've said in the past is that art as a technology. And I think this would be a really interesting follow-up because you're now experimenting with many different pieces of quote-unquote technology. Can you dive a little bit deeper and explain why you use that terminology specifically? So in personal development, another common axiom is in order to heal, we need to feel. And that is 
based on this understanding that the emotions are symptomatic. And in order to get to the understanding of why you might be feeling those things, why every time you get into a depth of intimacy with your partner, do you get scared and want to pull away? And like, why is that the case? In order to uncover that, you need to go through the emotion. You can't figure that out by avoiding the emotion. And so you have to be willing to feel it. That is why safe spaces to feel are one of the most important aspects to shifting this entire planet right now. And that's why I launched my whole online community, the create community with the plug there, thecreatecommunity.com. But because now every single week people are coming into these classes and it's a safe space for them to explore this stuff and to feel it so they can get underneath it and then start to shift their belief systems and therefore shift their lives. The cool thing is that art is one of the only and maybe the only true permission slip, the only true technology that will bypass all of the defenses of the human mind and get people to feel like right away. We have a society that is predicated right now on helping people numb the discomfort. So they only feel things like quick dopamine hits because of social media, and they can numb themselves through prescription medication, which in some places is easier to get than organic food or through alcohol or pornography or whatever it might be the case. And yet when people go into a movie theater, they're going in because of how that movie is going to make them feel. They're going in to listen to their favorite music because of how that music makes them feel. And so if we know that the healing is only possible through feeling, and we understand that we have a system that is making it easy to not feel the discomfort, then we have to look at what are the incentives, what are the ways in which we can actually encourage people to feel? Like where are people still willing to do that? And art is that thing. Art is a technology that I believe that human beings are inherently programmed to understand at an emotional level. It's why the first drawings on cave walls, like art is that thing. I think it precedes language where people are grunting and making noises is like song and sound and just believe this so strongly. It's why I started my nonprofit, Surrendered Artist. The sentence I've always liked to use is that we need to close the gap between the heart and the mind. And art is one of those tools that can actually help us close the two. That being said, there's a slight difference between consumption of art, which is what you've just described, and creation of art. How do you mm -hmm. see the two interact and which one holds which kind of power? You have such good questions. That's why I was so excited about this podcast because I went, Vaughn's going to have some epic questions. I think that it's a two-part process. Talking about the consumption of art is what I just spoke to. And I think that's important because when people understand what art can do for them, like literally when you can understand what art can do for you, and if you can address it within a few lyrics of a song, and get people to start thinking more broadly, to expand their consciousness with lyrics. And when people understand that's possible, now they're going to want it. I think it feels good to expand as a human being. I think that most human beings on this planet want that. And so if they know that the music they listen to can be entertaining, yes, but can also expand them as a human being, expand their soul, get them to think at a deeper level, get them to feel, get them to understand themselves and their life a bit better. 
if they know that, they'll want that. And if they want that through supply and demand economics, more artists are going to start creating it. And so that's why it's important for people to understand the power of art and actually want that from the art they consume. And on the other end, as creators of art, I feel like there is nothing more healing than your own creative energy. Think of like sound healing, right? Sound healing is where they play certain frequencies of sound that are good for your cells of your body. They're just good for you. They're healing for you. They're harmonic to your natural rhythms and frequencies. People can go and look up cymatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S, to get an even understanding of how sound actually affects matter and why sound healing is can be incredibly beneficial. Now, I believe that if everything is frequency, then your creative energy is the frequency, the pure frequency of your soul. Creative energy is life force energy. Literally, it is life force energy, and your creative energy is entirely unique. If you and I were to sit here and say, let's write an eight-line poem about creativity, our poems are going to look very different. If I said, okay, let's both draw a photo of a tree, it's going to look very different. Anything that we do uniquely allowing our creative energy into it, it will be different because it's like our soul's fingerprint. And so what could be more healing than allowing that frequency to move through your body, your truest essence to move through you? And I think that's one of the biggest issues we have on the planet right now is that people have systematically been told that they need to fall in line and they need to learn how to do this. And our education system is better at generating people who know how to regurgitate information rather than create. And I feel like we as artists understand the healing power of art and expression. I think we really get that and want people to understand that art, and this is an important piece for people listening right now, art is the expression of your creative energy into tangible form. It doesn't have to look like photography or poetry or sculpting or drawing. It could look like how you cook. It could look like how you clean. It could look like how you design your business or an app, or it could look like anything as long as you are allowing your creative essence through in that experience. To me, that's what I'm talking about when I say creating art. I particularly love the part where you said we need to get away from regurgitating and into creating because I, I do think that a lot of creativity today is, is masqueraded under this form of regurgitation. That's why so many images on Instagram look the same. That's why a platform like TikTok can thrive because it's all about copying and regurgitating something that you've already seen and simply replicating it as opposed to truly creating something that comes from a place of creativity. And obviously, it's, it's very personal. Something can, might look like a regurgitation of something else, but it may be an act of creation for an individual. I do think, though, that many people may sometimes struggle to find the output of how they can be more expressive. At least I'll speak on behalf of myself. I'm a photographer, but I go around and I collaborate with people and I build art installations and all those things require travel. They require bringing people together. Basically, they're not COVID friendly. <laughs> and so I've been feeling trapped in the way that I normally express myself is now no longer accessible to me. And there's been this sort of struggle to figure out, well, okay, I see all these people doing cool things and I'm consuming content and I'm scrolling on this endless feed of amazing humans. 
and I want to do that too, but I don't have the tool or the output for it right now. What would you recommend to someone who's going through that cycle where they're stuck in consumption mode and they need a shift from consumption into creation because of what you just said, because creativity is this sort of therapy and an opportunity to learn about yourself? Well, I think, first of all, you described a very natural ebb and flow. I think a lot of artists can relate to this. There are periods where it's all intake. It's all intake. There's consumption. We're like taking in other art. We're experiencing, we're trying new things or new skills or listening to new music or whatever it is. And I know when I'm in that period, I'm like, ooh, I'm consuming right now. All of that becomes the like backlog of information library that is going to inform the next wave of output. And so my first piece of advice would be never to judge the cycles, but to just pay attention to what cycle you're in and do your best to feed that cycle. If you know you're in a period of consumption wanting input, but you're forcing yourself to output, neither of them are as effective or efficient as they could be. And there's probably a lot of inner turmoil around that and stress and and various things. Whereas by saying, okay, I'm in this period of input, I'm going to slow down on the output and I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to create more space in my day to feed the input. You're going to move through that process more easily, more gracefully, and probably more quickly by not delaying it, but just allowing it until the point, if the whole point was to fill up your bucket till you hit a point where you needed to dump it out as output, the more that you fill it during that time frame, the quicker you get to a full bucket. The second piece to that, I feel like, People get caught up on the result of what the output needs to look like. It's like, well, I want to output. I know I'm in this space of output. I'm inspired to output. And then that's where the logical mind kicks in and says, if I'm going to output, I want it to do this thing. I want it to make this amount of money, or I want it to help build my brand in this way, or I want it to X, Y, Z. Whereas sometimes the period that we're in is an output of just outputting so that we can gain some skills or tools or create more space for a different type of input because the next result, like big result that we could speak to is actually on the other side of something we can't see. And so my advice would be to start outputting wherever feels good. Like wherever feels good. Maybe it's something where every morning you're like, I just feel like dancing. I'm going to just start dancing each morning and, and there's a new output and there's no attachment to the result. There's no attachment to what it needs to look like. And yet after two weeks of dancing, you hit all of a sudden have that artist eureka moment of a new installation or photography thing based on movement that you now are able to put together because you've just spent two weeks expressing that. But if you had thought that two weeks before that, you wouldn't have been able to put that pattern together. So my my suggestion would be just allow yourself to start outputting without an attachment to the result, trusting that the result will make itself clear down the road. Mm, That's great. So much of the creative process is just that it's a process, right? You need to go through the motions of trying things that you've never done before. And it's through that journey that eventually something unlocks itself. There's something that you said in another talk that you mentioned. So you say that everyone tries to practice self-love, except that sometimes when we practice self-love, that can hinge onto abuse or form of escapism. How do you differentiate between when something is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to dance and I'm going to like output my energy and I'm going to explore my own curiosity versus, 
oh wait, I'm actually running away from my responsibilities and what I should be doing. Like I should be building my brand. I should be developing something. How do you differentiate between those two forms? Mm, That's a really good question. The first one is anytime I hear the word should, I believe that is an indicator that there's a belief system that gets to be looked at. If anyone's sitting here going, I should be building my brand. I'm like, okay, why? Should implies that there's this right or wrong and that you have to, but where's that should coming from? And if I was like working with someone, my primary source of income for many years was was coaching. And now I've reduced that and I work with two clients a year. But one of the main things that I find that causes disharmony in the system is there's this identity structure that's built on the should of what people feel like they have to do, which is entirely based on the attachment to a result that they like are unwilling to let go of. To get here, I need to do this. And therefore, if I do something else, I'm not doing what I should do because ultimately I want to get there. So that's an important piece because anything that you can see right now as a way to get to the reality that you want to build for yourself is a limitation. I want to repeat that. Anything that you can see for how you can get to the reality you want is a limitation because the ways that you can arrive there are practically infinite. There are so many ways that you could get to the reality that you ultimately desire. And yet, Your brain is able to pattern recognize based off of the information you have and your past experiences and beliefs, a few of those ways. That means if you think that the only way that you could get there is like this way right here, you are limiting yourself from the 99% of the ways that you could actually arrive at that space. And I think that it's been humbling for me to take on that perspective because what it does is then it says, what if I give myself two weeks to really dance every morning for an hour instead of immediately getting on emails and, and going into my like quote unquote should of how to build my brand? I open up the space and realize that might actually be more impactful for getting me to where I want to go than answering the emails in that hour to more directly answer your question about how to know whether that's an escapism or is effective, that becomes in doing the inner work because there's no empirical answer to that. I can't tell someone, yep, you're procrastinating or you're doing something that's really supportive. It's an individual basis. And what people need to do in order to figure that out is develop the ability to read their internal nuances to spot that or hire a coach or get into a community of people who can help spot it for them. Because a lot of times it'll live in a blind spot and we need a mirror from someone or something in order to spot it because we may not be aware of it. So that's where the personal development work really comes in. I love that. And it's so true because if you had to predict where you would be today, 10 years ago, you would never be able to draw that path. So this (laughs) idea that we cannot see all the possible ways to get to where we want to get to is a really great perspective. I've never heard it said that way before. So thank you for that. Speaking of your journey, can you tell me how you got from little Adam Roa to where you are today? What was that journey like? How did you become an artist? How did you discover your voice and the importance of speaking about relationships? I was a kid that loved acting. I used to act in like school plays and I loved it. And then I hit 
high school and I had not really hit puberty and everyone else was growing. All the, my guy friends were starting to get attention from girls. And I was like five feet tall and 73 pounds my freshman year of high school at 13. So I was tiny and I went, I'll never be an actor. The biggest show on television at the time, I believe was that 70s show. And so the like guy who everyone, all the girls was the it dude was Ashton Kutcher. And then there was Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise is short. Tom Cruise is short, but he's also very white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as a half Asian male, and there wasn't like this litany of people on television where I went, oh, I'm like them. Therefore, I can do this. I just believed that I had to become realistic to what I was going to do. And I went, well, I guess I know I'm smart. So I got to figure out some way to earn my value through my mind. And I stopped focusing on everything else. And I said, I'm going to get really smart in business and things, start my own business and make a lot of money. That's what I'm going to do because then I'll be worthy of, then girls will like me, all, all of those sorts of things. And eventually I hit this point where I was working in an advertising agency about to graduate college and I was just unhappy and I decided I needed to look at something that made me happy. And I remembered how much I loved acting. So I started taking acting classes again in college and I loved it so much. And in many ways it saved my life because I was so shut down emotionally from how I was raised and what I'd been through that acting became the only outlet for my emotions. It became the safe space for me to feel, and therefore it became how I started to heal a lot of the wounds that I'd had growing up. And I became so passionate about it, and I saw how much it impacted my life that I wanted to make movies that would heal people the way that I felt like acting and movies had helped me feel again. So I packed up my stuff, I moved out to LA, and I pursued an acting career. And then in that process, I had my entire self-worth and self-esteem beaten down by all the rejection over and over again, and finally hit a low point where I had a car accident. Someone ran a stop sign. I needed hip surgery. A week later, I had my rental car was hit and run on the side of the road. I had migraines. I was all of these things, and I hit this absolute breaking point in my life. I hit the point where I went, maybe I don't have this life thing figured out. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And that ultimately led to a spiritual awakening. And that spiritual awakening changed my messaging to something where I just started to share my journey. And people started to ask questions and say, what's going on in your life? You're happier now. There was just a change in my energy and my demeanor. And people started to want support. And I started coaching people. And then I started sharing more. And then it just snowballed from there. And eventually, it became this thing where I went, I could continue to support people one-on-one -on -one and lead these retreats. And I will, and I still do. But if I really want to shift the planet, it needs to happen through art for all the reasons we've discussed on this podcast already. And so how do I take everything I've been teaching in my kind of coaching world and put it into art? And that led to filmmaking, conscious filmmaking. It led to my spoken word poetry and everything that I'm doing now and starting my own podcast, The Deep Dive, and launching my own community, Create, all of those things have evolved out of that question of how do I combine personal development and art in the most powerful way to actually transform this planet? So you're in the process of shifting from 
a coaching practice into a coaching slash art practice. When was that first moment of proof where you knew that you were on the right path? The most obvious one for me was when my poem went viral. You Are Who You've Been Looking For has been viewed almost 200 million times. And if you include all the various platforms and versions of it, it's been viewed well over 200 million times. And that was evidence to me of a couple things. One, that people are receptive to me, like me as a deliverer of the message, as the messenger. But it was also more importantly, a reinforcement of this concept that I've been talking about, that making these as art makes it more appealing to the masses. If I had been on stage, this poem is about self-love and it's called, You Are Who You've Been Looking For. And if I had gone on stage and just talked about self-love and the importance of self-love, maybe it gets a lot of views. Maybe it gets a million or two million. There's a lot of people getting on stage and talking about that these days. But because I do it as a poem, it spread like wildfire. And what I want people to understand about that poem is that by the time that poem went viral, I'd already toured my spoken word poetry internationally on several occasions. I'd been working hard on putting it out, perfecting my craft. I'd already made an album, all of these things. And I was unknown. No one really knew about me. I had maybe, I don't know, 5,000 followers on Instagram. Who, Who knows? And I think that's important because it wasn't an overnight success in that sense. No one may have heard of me before then, but it wasn't this thing that just happened immediately. I feel like what we get to do as artists is not create for that result. Similarly with my music right now, none of my music is getting massive streams, but I'm creating it because it one, it's healing for me as an artist because of all that we've talked about. And two, because I think it's important for all the reasons we've talked about. So I create it and then I get to release the results. And I think that's a really important thing because if we're attached to the results, it shuts down our creativity because it limits us to what we think we have to do in order to achieve a result that, as I've already said, is a limited view of what's possible anyway. Alrighty, folks, I'm going to break the fourth wall here for just a second because I want to share with you a little excerpt of the piece that Adam is referencing. The total length is five minutes, so I'm only going to play one of those minutes, but it is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my favorite pieces. You can find it online by searching Adam Roa, You Are Who You've Been Searching For. You are who you've been looking for. So stop looking for more unless you're looking in a mirror because it's about time for you to see clearly that you are who you've been looking for. And that empty feeling you got, that hole in your chest, you only got that feeling because you think you're not blessed with everything you need. You see, we live in a consumerist society, which means they need you to buy stuff. And the easiest way to sell it is to tell you you're not enough. Buy this car, you'll get girls. Buy this bra, you'll get guys. (laughs) And we're seeing it so much that we start believing these lies, but the truth is, The makeup they're selling to make you feel prettier is the same makeup you buy to stop feeling shittier about this lie they keep telling you that you are not enough. And what about the movies we watch, all the shows on TV? The more I watch, the more I see I need you to complete me. And yes, love is the answer, love is the key, but if you can't love yourself, how could you ever love me? 
And, and loving yourself, what does that even mean? Like massages and selfies and that sort of thing? Because the more I think about it, the more it feels weird. I've always been taught that self-love was something to be feared. I've been taught that arrogance is bad and vanity, it's not good. And even my bracelets are telling me to act how Jesus would. So what should I do? <laughs> how should I act? And that is just the beginning. Make sure to watch the whole piece online if you like what you've heard so far. Remember, it is you are who you've been looking for. Anyways, let's head back to the conversation. Here he is talking about the dangers of success. How hard is it to create with the pressure of feeling like it needs to do something? Like it needs to be, it needs this many. If I said, and this is tricky too, because we often want to outdo the metrics of success of our previous work. Like that's just as any high performer will say that thing. Like if you're a swimmer, you want to get faster at your laps. If you're a a weightlifter, you want to get stronger. But if I said that if I release anything that doesn't get 200 million views, it's a failure. I I would, I, I may never get that for the rest of my life. I may never release another piece of content that gets 200 million views on Facebook. That's a reality. Do I believe that? Do I accept that as being true? No, not at all. I I think that I very much can continue to create art and and some of it may do even better and get 500 million views. Sure, whatever. But if I'm attached to the idea that it's only a success if it does better than my last one, I feel like I'm screwed. (laughs) I'm screwed. I'll just go into a paralysis and not create anything. So in that case, if views isn't really a metric for success, and a lot of this journey is internal, like how do you measure success? How do you know that you're going in the right direction? How do you judge the quality of what you're outputting and whether or not it's going the way you want it to be going? This is another really great question. And I want to be as honest and transparent as I can with you and the listeners is, I think that there are are various categories that I look at. And I'm not saying views aren't one of the metrics, right? Like I think that how content performs is important feedback. I do think it's important feedback, but it's not the only piece of feedback. I think that your bank account, I don't do things necessarily for the money, but your bank account is an important piece of feedback. If you're doing something over and over again, and it's not leading to any sort of monetary you get to take that as feedback. And I'm not saying stop doing it. And I'm not telling you to keep doing it, but at least take that data in and let it inform what you're doing. I think the most heavily weighted metric for all of it is how does it feel? That's it. Because everything that you want in your life is not actually what you want is how you think that thing will make you feel when you get it. At the end of the day, whatever you want in your life. You want to be married with kids? Awesome. You don't actually want to be married with kids. You want the feeling that you think comes with being married with kids. You want what you think the feeling is when you have a million dollars in the bank. You want the feeling that you think comes when you get 200 million views on your content. That's what you actually want is how that makes you feel because this is all just energy and emotion is energy in motion. Emotion, we are living this life through our feeling, right? And that's why you get all of these people that are incredibly wealthy who are miserable. Would you rather be poor and happy or be rich and miserable for the next 10 years of your life if you had that option? I personally would rather be poor and happy. That's it. And I might wind up there 
just by putting all of my money and everything into creating as much as I do and being so unattached to the financial returns. And again, it's a metric, so I am paying attention to it. But for a long time now, like my art is not the thing that pays for my entire ecosystem. Where I make my money is through speaking opportunities. It's through coaching work, through those projects. And the art is how I express it. And I honestly, my art in most ways is how I give back. And I think I got lost on the (laughs) the answer to it, but I guess to bring it back is how you feel when you're doing it is the most important piece of feedback that you can have. All of the other ones are important because they can shape how you go about it. If it's causing you to be broke to make music and do that thing, maybe you get to shift the structure of how you make music. But if making music fills up your soul and you are happy doing it, that is more important and that is more heavily weighted than everything else. I particularly love the way you use the word feedback instead of KPI. It's just a point of feedback and the hierarchy that you created where you put feelings on the top, because I think there's really something interesting there. You've been building community, I think, for basically the entirety of your career. How do you go about doing that? And what does community mean to you? Oh, this was something that I didn't actually understand for most of my life, most of my life. And I only discovered it, I would say, within the last three years, and it corresponded with my breakup. So I was in a relationship with a woman for 10 years, and we were each other's everything. We built business together. We created together our our creative filmmaking projects because we didn't need anyone else. It was us. And that was my medicine. And it's what I needed for for that period of my life. And then after the breakup and being on my own, I actually started to lean into the power of having people in my life that supported me, that I could talk to and not just surface level, but really be seen by them. And the way that I describe it is the people who see you for your full potential, but love you for who you are now. And surrounding yourself with those people is one of, I I would put it, I don't know that it's the most important thing, but if it's not the most important thing, it's like the second or third. It is right up there for several reasons. One, because we are tribal beings. Like we're not meant to do this on our own. Even from the sheer logical standpoint of it's only through mirrors and references and contrast that we develop our own perspectives. It's the way in which we evolve. Everything's a feedback mechanism. We get to see different aspects of ourselves through the triggering of people who annoy the hell out of us to the positive reinforcement from people who love us dearly and we're inspired by all of these different things. And I learned once I was out of my bubble of that relationship, I learned how much having a community of people that support you that are like-minded in how they approach the development process and who are supportive and compassionate and loving where you have a safe space, all of these components come 
into what I call soul family, like tribe, when you have that community and it's so valuable, like invaluable, it's exponentially going to contribute to your growth and evolution as a human. And as a result to that, it's going to exponentially impact what you want to create on the planet. And it's why I launched thecreatecommunity.com is because during COVID, I realized how few people actually had a place to go. Like I had all these friends that I could call up on FaceTime who I could continue to have these depth of conversations. But then there were all these other people who didn't have people in their life who pulled them forward. They didn't have the mentorship. They didn't have the support of their peers. They didn't have people in their life that could go on this journey with them. And so I created it. I just started it. And it's evolved into something really beautiful where it's this membership community where we lead online coaching classes on a platform online, three classes a week. Plus we have things like open mic nights and house parties and virtual concerts and poetry nights where people can come together, learn together, grow together, communicate with each other and do so in, in a safe space. And yeah, that's the importance of community to me. It, it, I, I could go on about it forever because it's I'm so passionate about it because it was something that I just took for granted for so long. It's interesting hearing you speak because my takeaway is almost that without community and without understanding your relationship with yourself, it is going to be impossible for you to do the best work that you can. And so if you have the intention of going out there and making the world a better place or helping others and so on and so forth, you have to really start with yourself. For someone who's maybe encountering this as a general topic for the first time, what's one thing that they could start doing in order to get in on this journey of self-love or maybe even just finding a mirror to start with? If they're listening to this podcast, I feel like they're doing one of the most important things, which is to expose themselves to new ideas and new information around the topic. Because awareness is the starting point. Awareness gives us choice. One of the biggest misconceptions is that awareness is change, but awareness is not change. Just because you become aware of, wow, my dad never hugged me growing up. That's why I have a fear of intimacy around my male friends. <laughs> okay, I become aware of that. That doesn't mean that anything's changed, but it's given me the chance to make a new choice. And through making new choices, I will create change. Now, if they're listening to this, I assume that they're on that journey and I would encourage them to continue that journey and exposing themselves to other things like other podcasts, like my podcast or other personal development audio books or whatever. And then I would encourage them to get the mirrors, whether that is joining an accountability group with a few friends that are on the same path, whether that's joining an online community. Right now it's online. Obviously, once COVID restrictions, they'll be in person as an option. You can start attending events again, or it's like literally hiring a coach or a mentor or going to see a therapist or whatever that might be. These sorts of things are important. Exposing yourself to new information and having mirrors in your life and a support system to get through it because it gets hard. That's just the reality of it. It gets hard. It gets uncomfortable. It's not great to have to look at the pieces of yourself that feel insecure or have fear and doubt or judge yourself or still carry guilt from when you were eight years old for this thing. Like it gets uncomfortable. And that's where the support is a necessary component because I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. 
at the end of the day, we are on our own because we do need to go through it ourselves. But there are things that I've just needed support to really look at and feel like I could get through. And and I think that's just a huge piece. Awesome. That sounds like a wonderful to-do list. And I, I like the methodology a lot. One last question for you then. If you had a megaphone to the world and you could invite them to do one thing, what would that one thing be? Treat yourself like someone you love. I believe that compassion is the external act of self-love. When we love ourselves, then we extend that love to others. When we see that in others, when we see their anger or their jealousy or their lack of acceptance or their narrow-mindedness, when we've learned to love those aspects of ourselves, because we all have all of them, when we've learned to love those aspects of ourselves, that gives us the space to have compassion for others when they exhibit those same behaviors. But if we're judging those behaviors in ourselves, when we see people doing it, it's going to trigger our own like self-loathing and therefore we're going to lack the compassion for others. And so again, it comes back to if we can love ourselves more deeply, it will make us happier and it will also extend into how we interact with others outside. And that is such a necessary component in today's day and age where people are, they're blaming others. They're blaming others for everything and they're pointing fingers and they're thinking that if they just get their way, it's all going to resolve itself. And that's just not the reality of the situation. We're not all going to agree. That's the beauty of being human on a planet with 7 billion people on it is that we have 7 billion different perspectives on this thing called life. And if we can learn how to be compassionate with each other and treat each other with respect, then we will be able to live amongst 7 billion different viewpoints on reality in harmony which is an amazing opportunity. And yet what it seems like people are doing is just judging everyone who thinks differently because they haven't resolved their own inner judgment. And so treat yourself like someone you love. First and foremost, do whatever it takes to get to a place where you do love yourself enough to move through the world with a state of compassion. Awesome. What a great way to end, man. For everyone who wants to follow you, who feels inspired by your work, who wants to dive deeper, what are all the links. Just drop them all in one last time for everyone. <laughs> I have a lot of online real estate, bro. It's adamroa.com is my website, A-D-A-M-R-O-A.com. My podcast, The Deep Dive with Adam Roa, it's available on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the places. My online community is thecreatecommunity.com. My nonprofit, surrenderedartist.org. And then Facebook and Instagram, Adam.roa on Instagram, YouTube channel, Adam Roa, all the places. I'm out there. I put it like you said at the beginning. I put out a lot of content. If you want some dope music, I've just started releasing the music. Just search Adam Roa on Spotify. You'll find that as well. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for having me, Vaughn. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for listening to this. I'm just so grateful that anyone takes the time to expose themselves to this information. And I'm really grateful to you and the ability to dive into these concepts deeper. Alrighty, folks, that was Adam Roa. You can obviously find him on basically every single platform wherever your interests lie. I think we can all agree that Adam is a very wise human being with a ton of insights. Feel free to dig around on his social profiles. There is always something new to discover and he is really, really prolific, which is wonderful for those of us who love his content. If you enjoyed this week's episode and you just want to find a summary or graphics or quotes or something shareable like a YouTube upload of this podcast, well, Great news for you. You can find it on impacteverywhere.org. If you like what you're hearing, want to leave some feedback, please, please leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps a ton. And with that said, I think that's it for this week. Remember to stay positive, folks, because impact is everywhere. <laughs>